I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Who do you know, listeners, who works with founders, thought leaders and change makers? Well, our guest today on Thriving Matters podcast is Sandy McDonald. Sandy is absolutely a stunning woman with a story that you are going to love because at the moment, storytelling is all the rage. We all love a good story. We all love a good movie. We all love a great book. And Sandy has them all wrapped up in the one lifetime that she has lived and dare I say perhaps it's not just one lifetime perhaps it's many so Sandy how are you today you are very welcome hello Carrie thank you so much for having me on I'm delighted to be here and I can't wait to start telling a few stories well look Sandy over a lifetime there are times for all of us where thriving in our life and work is a really hard yakka isn't it and most of the people that I interview, or not most, I'm just going to correct myself, all the people that we interview here on our Thriving Matters podcast are ordinary guys or gals who are doing extraordinary things in their life and work. And it is absolutely beautiful that you said yes in the first place, that secondly, we bumped into each other, and thirdly, we're having a yarn today. <laughs> it's great. So tell me, what actually makes you get out of bed each day, Sandy? Let's start where we always start. What, <laughs> what does it? What puts that, that twinkle in your eye or that little spurt in your step or that, that jump that gets you out of bed? Well, that's going to launch me on a story that um, is probably completely different to the ones that you know uh, about me so far. <laughs> How good is that? Um, yeah, it is. So in... Um, March 2020, as the pandemic made its way around the world um, and the fires had been so, so terrible in uh, the eastern seaboard of Australia, I was standing underneath a very spectacular gum tree that we have in our garden and looking up at it, wondering how many of similar gum trees were, were being annihilated at the time. Um, and then there was a remarkable article in the newspaper about a secret valley uh, that hosted these Woolamai pines that were over a thousand years old. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you saw it. I, I am. I've just had a recollection as you're talking. Please. please. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a there was a wonderful photograph of this green green valley amidst all the charred hills and the story was about these very brave scientists and researchers who were so passionate about saving this secret valley of pines they chopped it down and they'd irrigated and they'd pumped water and, and i don't i mean the bravery with the, with those dreadful fires raging on in all on all sides and the valley was saved and 
I think it might have been a combination of those two factors and the fact that I have three grandchildren um, who frequently ask me to tell them stories. Um, I was lying in bed one night and this line popped into my head, Lumina was troubled. That's all, just that Lumina was troubled. So I, I thought, I had no idea what it meant, but I went and stood under the gum tree. And that's by way of starting this very long story of my progressing from a storytelling trainer in my day-to-day -day job to becoming a middle grade author. And I have to tell you that it has been the most remarkable journey. I, I had no idea what becoming an author was all about. Mm -hmm. Writing a book properly and well is, I say, like doing a jigsaw, a complicated jigsaw puzzle with no painting. You have to fit all the pieces and, and then refit them and, and everything has its own, you know, it gets, it weaves and it, it's incredibly complicated. Um, I had the good fortune. I, I, the first, what happened was I just wrote the book in a couple of months and I thought, oh, well, that's good. I've written a book and I popped it off to uh, publishers and things. And then <laughs> I happened to meet a wonderful young woman who, um, called Kylie, who was doing a book coaching program and needed somebody for the third part of her assessment. And so we worked together and she said to me, so your character is Min. Um, what challenges does she have to overcome? And I immediately knew that I had not written a book because <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> anyway, I have, um, taken Min now on this extraordinary journey to save an ancient forest. She's not a human. She's called a lumen. That's not a fairy either, but she is a being and she lives in trees with her clans. And, um, and I'm about eight chapters from finishing the first of three books. Oh, wow. So I am very excited. This book has um, taken over my life. Min exists in my DNA now. Um, I've had to do so much research around ecosystems and old trees and beings and um, and I've heard some amazing, amazing podcasts along the way that explain that the canopies of all the, the rainforests are thought of as the eighth continent because they host 50% of all the beings on the planet. Oh I didn't know that. So uh, it's, you know, it's woven this depth of knowledge and I'm trying to inspire young children, girls, boys in their sort of 13, 14 year old age group. 12 maybe to think that they can do something to mitigate climate change that's really mm. what the inspiration is behind it so i'm very excited <laughs> oh i'm 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 going to be your first purchaser and i'll Yay. um i'm going to give gift all my grandchildren those those oh. but the parents as well this is not just for the for the teens is it it's for the par the parents as well because we are the first educators Way yes. I look at it. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Oh, you gave me look, I've got goosebumps. And listeners, you can't oh, see okay. my goosebumps, but there's fancy oh, up on, on my on my arms as Sandy's telling me this because I know how much books have meant to um my my kids and my daughter in particular is um an English teacher. And I have another who's a um a, a son that's getting married is a, is also a, a primary um teacher as well. He's a assistant principal at the moment. 
but their love of books is just amazing. You know, their dream is to have a whole Harry Potter library style of books, you know, just this oh. amazing. But um, the story, there's another story here, isn't it? It's what you've you've decided, what you've learned, what you've discovered uh, along the way, not just oh, yeah. the story of Min and the canopies and the, the beautiful um, secret valley, um, but it's also about what you've learned. And in oh, your sharing of your story, it's what what you're able to share with others as well and what they learn. So I think it starts to a ripple effect, doesn't it? I hope so. I mean, one of the things that um, was evident when I first started the book is that Lumina suffers from terrible anxiety and that's actually the major challenge she has to overcome. Um, she has to overcome. She has a panic attack at the beginning of the book mm. um, and... Um, and that, you know, she has to overcome that to become the leader that she is. She's she's called an intuitor. So she's a rare kind of lumen because she feels, um, she intuits feelings and thoughts and things through her wings. Um, and so that, that actually was in itself a huge learning curve because although my family, all of us are anxious human beings, um, just seems to be in our DNA and our genetics that we, we get overly anxious about stuff. And... Um, uh, my girls, uh, my daughters, I have two daughters who have the children are very keen. I was going to say anxious, but that seemed to be the wrong word. Yeah. Very keen to make sure that their natural anxiety is not passed on to their children and that their children can deal well with it. Mm. And part of the inspiration for me was that my granddaughter, Tully, uh, suffered terribly from separation anxiety over the two years of being in and out of school. Oh. And so I, I was looking at her and thinking, well, what can I impart to her through a book that would give her a, a methodology by which she could um, grip hold of the anxiety before it gets hold of her? And um, so I did lots of research, um, drew on my own experiences, other people's experiences, and I've sort of incorporated that through the book as well. There's, that's the challenge she has to overcome. Oh, Wow. It shows the depth of your sense of purpose for this book, doesn't it? When you you are looking at how you can build in basically strategies for them through the storyline, through the, the the imagination, through the you know the projection of where you're going to go. I think it's magic. So tell me, do your grandchildren ask you how the book's going? Do they they talk about men? Um, they, they're very well aware of men. Men sort of become part of their... I read them early chapters and then I stopped reading once I realised um, that I was writing... I had feedback from one of the publishers, which I thought was a wonderful. And, in fact, when when I finished the manuscript, I'm going to send it to him, not, not necessarily to publish, but just to say thank you because he really kicked me into the next level. Mm. He came back and he said, look, the idea has merit but you, it's too expository. And I didn't even know what the word expository meant. Um, it was that I was telling, I was instructing, I wasn't showing, I wasn't letting the children or the readers read the book and make up their own minds about the character or, the, or imagining the place that they lived in or where they were traveling. I was doing all that work for them. Um, and so I had to learn how to do that through dialogue 
and um, and only through the lens of Min because she's the protagonist. Whereas I'd be off saying somebody else had said something and somebody else was doing something. So it was a big learning curve. Um, so I stopped reading it to them then because I realized that I wasn't reading them the best version of, of what it can be. But they know that I'm about to finish it. And Tully is very excited in particular because she's the older girl for me to start reading it to her when it's finished. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the um, there was, I mean, we're living in a digital age, aren't we? Um, yeah. And technology, I believe, is a tool. So being able to tell the story in real time um, is is beautiful and there was a little while ago um, was Tom Foolery who did the great realization um, and he recorded that reading that to his son at night and it's his story and um, I often will go back to that there's a lot of messages in that in that book about the and it's about our time of, of the virus and the great realization that we've all we all have um, that it was very powerful just the the way that we could use the voice the tones of voice um, the way you know the the cadence of rhythm and tone of of language and the ideas you you could you know you could just imagine kids closing their eyes and being in in the story whilst you're reading it. So oh, I imagine I you read have some book. ideas yeah. about how you're going to do that. Oh, wonderful. I must read that book. And and so I'm, I have sort of diverted to some extent, but it is true that that is what's been um, booting me out of bed every day now for two years as I've both learnt how to become an author and be uh written this book um, with the the next two planned because it's one of a trilogy so um oh, it's, it's been a wonderful journey and i'm loving it i'm absolutely loving it because you've had a great um experience in business um you know over you know over 22 years running a marketing communication 43 years i've been well, in business for myself <laughs> you know in all the things that you've done 43 <laughs> Oh my gosh! And in that, you managed to do a TED talk. I did. In, in that's you know most most people these days would just you know really aspire to doing something with TED, which is which is fantastic. Um, but you know the stories that we teach, the stories that we we tell ourselves, as Brene Brown says, um, often it's a different truth, isn't it? That so so in writing a story, you're actually putting truth into imagination and a way that's going to really um, be attractive and, and to, to young adults on their way in their, in their age of development, that they're in that stage of development around their teenage years. Very, very important. Um, yes. And we could say, look, um, a course on well-being or, and, or anxiety strategies could be just as helpful, but you know what? It doesn't reach everybody and... That's why I think books are just so, so brilliant. So they're, they're quite magnificent. As Julia Baird says, the phosphorescence in us all, your phosphorescence oh, is coming what a out in your writing. Oh, yeah. What a yeah. beautiful saying. Yeah. It's well, it's gorgeous. so true because, um, I mean, in my storytelling training, um, one of the things I, I say is the reason that stories are so successful uh, and used for early education particularly is because stories lift learning by blending creativity 
and um, emotional re resonance. And the, the science is, is really clear behind it because there's a huge body of science around why stories work as, communi as a communication vehicle. And, you know, it shows that when we tell stories, there's this mirroring effect between the teller and the listener. Um, it releases these two wonderful um, neurochemicals, oxytocin, which sort of um, is the collaborative, I feel safe, trust, and all of that, and um, cortisol, which focuses attention. So, I mean, you know, in today's world, if you, if you, if you want to grab attention and you want people to trust where you're taking them, um, then story really has a huge place. And so, I mean, I suppose it was a logical, a logical transition for me to go from telling my own stories and helping people tell their stories to, to being an author. But actually, it's a completely different way of writing. You are telling a story, a massive story, but to get that story out and make it work is so different to the short, sharp, stories that I've been training people to do who who want to make an impact in the world. What do you think would be your greatest learning about the difference? Because a lot of people say who who are coaches, who are business owners, um, have their own businesses, whatever it is, they 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 need to do. Um, they need to do their own communication, uh, they marketing, they they do a lot of posting. I mean that's a, the, the way of the world at the moment is that we're using a whole lot of um, electronic um, means of communication, but there would be some major differences, as you said. Yeah. And yeah, there uh, are. I'm just curious about maybe, you know, something that comes to mind for you that's... Yeah, there is actually. Um, in, in the training and coaching that I developed around storytelling training, um, there was a there are there are some really powerful similarities and then there's some really big differences so in order for people to be able to tell what i call purpose-led contextualized stories to be a, um to be that kind of storyteller so that their stories land where they're meant to land and and have the intention uh, of what they want their people to feel or think or do as a result of hearing the stories you have to have clarity you have to have purpose you have to know who your people are um, you have to be truthful, you have to have insight into your industry or um, to become an authority telling stories. So in fact, those are exactly the same things you have to have for a book. I mean, I had to be clear, and I really wasn't when I first kicked it all off. I had to know who my protagonist was, what arc she was going to go on. I had to know who the supporting characters were, who my readers were, what the purpose for the book is. I had to know the why for the book. And I came to write a page on why I was writing the book about 18 months into the process, which is crazy because I am i should have known right from day one that that should be done. Um, and I want an intention for the book. So the big sort of meta stuff is very similar to what I'm helping people get to do. I help people to develop a model. And in actual fact, if I'd only realized it, I could have used that model very easily and adapted it and will do for the next two books to chart out, map out the, 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 mm -hmm. the interceding arcs, if you like. Um, and I also help people with a very, very simplified story arc with stories. So they, there's always a context, time and place. There's always a spark that sets the story off. 
there's always a journey that they go on a quest or a journey there's at some point there's a revelation or a learning or mm. something that they realize and then there's the conclusion now that is a super super simplified story arc but the way i'm writing it now is to the much much more complex story arc where you know the, there's the um, the theme gets stated the story breaks into two there's what they call the fun and games section which is where all the adventure part happens there's the false defeat or the false victory there's the the bad guys close in when everything seems to be going wrong and i'm about to write the chapter which is the all is lost chapter um which is this is done out of massive amounts of research of every great story that's ever been told like all the harry potter books would do mm. it all the you know famous Disney films would have this and in many ways I've done that intrinsically without even realizing it it's been helpful to know that I was hitting what they call the beats of the book um, that sort of stops you from wandering off down pathways that don't move the story on and I would be saying the same thing to my storytellers don't embroider where there's no need for embroidery you know don't use extraneous words um, don't fill your stories with actuallys and of courses and in facts because they don't add anything. Yeah. Um, like so, th so there are similarities, but the final product is is different. I like um, I like what you just said. Then the beat of your story. Yeah. Beat, uh, and that's that's a real rhythm, isn't it? Yeah. And the beat the beat changes. Yeah. To the to the to the way the drummer is drumming. Just yeah. say if we used. Yeah. And um, music, music and and words just go to, go together. If we think about the composition, I mean, they're they're stories told to to told to 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 notes to melody to whatever. That's beautiful. I really love that. The beat of your story, um, and I couldn't help you just before you said Harry Potter. That's where my head had gone. My thinking gone. And I went, oh, I wonder about all those Harry Potter books because that was quite a phenomenal. Oh, extraordinary Phenomenal. Yeah. Extraordinary. I mean, her imagination apart from anything. I mean, that's the other thing. Um, there's got to be imagination. So in, in my business storytelling training, a lot of my people that I work with are concerned that they, they don't have any stories. And, of course, that's so far from the tr truth. I mean, we all just have a million stories. It's how we, how we use them. How do you pull a, a personal story or a business story from your, you know, your treasure chest of stories, your compendium of stories, and make it work in a way that serves your audience, that that um, is relevant to your audience, and that and that actually adds value to them? Because no point telling a story if it's just about look at me, wasn't I clever, or mm. isn't my business great? It's not offering anything. It has mm. to offer some value. And um, and I think that you can, within even those short stories, you can use beat and cadence. Um, the cadence of words is so powerful. Um, and I think that, that that's in the craft. It's what I call it. The craft comes right at the end. There's the clarity piece and then there's the curiosity piece and then coherence and craft come right at the end of that learning curve. And even in my learning to be an author, the crafting, the, the actual crafting of the words, taking out all those extraneous adverbs. Um, I did a search for the word by because apparently the moment you have by, you're in the passive voice. 
and you need to be in an active voice in a novel. And I, I had a few, and it's such it's it's like going back to school to learn how to <laughs> reword it so that you get rid of the by and it comes back into action. Just those little things, you know, that getting rid of the adverbs if you don't need it. If you can say, um, you know, the trees are burning, she said sadly. It well. The, the dialogue should convey it, you know, that you should have been able to write it to say the trees are burning, she said. And, yeah. you know, it, it should be in the inflection of the writing. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. That's it. Oh, what, what a gift you have that you've honed, though. So all your years of previous business have um, have brought you to, um, have, haven't been wasted. You've no. used the gifts yeah. and, and the skills that you develop there yeah. um, for what you're doing today. I think I think it's a magic story. Thank you. Magic Thank story. You. Well, I mean, I was a graphic designer for 30 years, which, you know, you'd think, well, gosh, how did you transition from that? But my husband and I were in business together. Uh -huh. So I, was, I ran my own graphic design studio and then he and I went into business together and that's where you got the 22 years from because we ran that business together. for 22 years. Um, and I sort of got to managing that business in the end rather than doing graphic design. I actually hated graphic design. No, that's not true. I loved being a designer. I did not like being in the service of, as a ser servicing graphic, because I, I found the the client designer interface unbelievably challenging. Yes. Um, it was just, and I think it's because we didn't learn until much later on in our business to set boundaries and um, <laughs> and be very clear with our clients about what the purpose was and you know all yeah. of that stuff. So um, when I transitioned out of that into running the charity and then ultimately into how do I make what I've learned work in a way that I, I want to you know spend the rest of my working life doing and came into storytelling. Um, I, I did find that an awful lot of what I'd done with graphic design was telling a story visually. Mm. And so, you know, it was all about communication one way or another, even when I was managing and I didn't manage very well. You know, it's the old Peter principle. You sort of get to manage your own business because, hey, you're running a business with <laughs> five or six staff. It doesn't mean you're a great manager. But I learned a lot about oh. communication. And, and isn't that the thing? You We can beat ourselves up on what we we you know we perceive or know for ourselves it hasn't gone well but my heavens what you've learned is 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 gold um, and when you can apply it I'm interested in your your charity where that where that stemmed from if would you like to to share yeah. that part of your story with yeah so I mean after 22 years of running this graphic design business um things were changing for the whole community marketing communications um business so when we first started our skills were we'd be trained for our skills and nobody had those skills and by the time we got to 22 years down the track everyone had a, a computer and could write you know could write for themselves and and could you know get cheap graphic design overseas and and all of that stuff so it was really changing and I think we were pretty burnt out and not that excited about trying to reinvent ourselves in the same industry. So I was looking into the internet thinking, well, this is, this is 2005, six, um, you know, it, it was still a new baby at that stage. It wasn't anything like as advanced as it is now. I mean, Facebook hadn't even started. And so how does this, how's this beast going to work? And I, I want to know. So I was doing some research on that and, um, 
my aunt had come out from South Africa because I'm originally from Zimbabwe. When we came to Australia, she their family went to South Africa. So she came to visit me. And, and right at the end of the trip in 2008, she said, um, she was just telling us that she kept blankets in her car and gave them out to kids that she found on the side of the road at night alone and cold. And I, I did a couple of backward steps because we'd been out of Africa for a while and I had no idea of the scale of what had happened there in terms of children at that stage. Um, so she left and I, I was thinking about it and I came up with this idea. I thought, well, I'm trying to experiment with how to make websites work. So what if I built one and I just found knitters and I asked them if they would send a square to her and then she could just sew them together and she could then make a few blankets rather than buy them. She gets to have blankets and I get to learn how the internet works. That was my thinking, very pure and simple. Very, yeah. Um, so I struggled to find out how to build a website because it was before WordPress. <laughs> and I found this organization that was very strict. You had to go through a set of learning curves before you were allowed to make your website go live. And they were. it was all about search engine optimization, which I, just hadn't even heard of at that stage. So I, I'm a good student. So I duly did everything I was meant to do, wrote the mandatory 50 pages or something of copy uh, to make it SEOable. But, you know, I, I couldn't, couldn't bear um, just writing, you know, that SEO is stuff. a particular type of yeah. writing, isn't it? Yeah. And they were very keen on the fact that it was authentic. So I did what I have done all the way through my book and, and which I asked my people to do, which is to become very curious. So I started to research firstly the knitters, found this world of knitters who are absolutely dippy about their craft. I mean, mad, crazy, passionate people um, who gathered online in communities everywhere. And then I also started to research the orphans and it was in researching the orphans that the that the purpose piece dropped in because I it no longer was, I didn't want to just build a website that was going to send a few squares to my aunt. I wanted to build a website that would make a difference in the lives of these 25 odd million orphan children in Southern Africa. 25 um, million. Yeah. And they'd been orphaned because they'd lost their parents to HIV AIDS and at, well, a combination of that and poverty. And it, it, the statistics were horrendous. Mm. And then one day I came across a speech by Stephen. Um, oh, gosh, please, you, you've listened to the TED Talks. You, you'll be able to remember his name. How awful that I can't remember. But he was the United Nations ambassador for um, HIV AIDS in Africa. And he'd been to Kenya and he'd come across a little girl um, and he described her as weeping. As she described the death of her mother, she wept copiously. It was as if her tears were plumbing the depth of the ocean. And I, I literally burst into tears and thought, oh, this is just unbelievable that we don't know this stuff. And so how, how could we let it happen? I don't know. I mean, um, um there was a wonderful quote that said this will be looked back by our children in 40 years time and they'll say how did you let this happen exactly like you've just said and um anyway so th I then got driven by passion and purpose and 
that changed the way I wrote because I started to write from the heart. I started to write the stories of these children. I started to write, I, you know, researched. I found stories of kids. I wrote about them. I wrote about the carers. I, I wrote to the knitters and I said, you can, you can knit a square and know that you're going to make a difference in the lives of these kids. It was, came from this real passion and it just took off. And yeah. then Lion Brand, who's the biggest yarn manufacturer in the States, picked us up. Uh, and featured us as the charity of the month, and they have a million on their database. Oh. So there was no looking back after that. I had this massive worldwide community yeah. who were as enthusiastic as I was, wanted to make a difference in the lives of the kids. And after about four years of running it and building it, and, and I had my husband involved and my daughters involved, and my aunt was full-time in South Africa with volunteers and one thing and another, I realized I had to earn a living. So I extracted myself because you can't earn a living running a charity for four years and our own business had sort of yeah. closed the doors on it. Um, and I thought, it, you know, ego, eat my ego, really. I thought, well, without me at the helm, it will probably just dissipate. And I couldn't have been more wrong because I had actually inadvertently done something right. I'd auspiced the community. I'd given them the... yeah. I'd given them the wherewithal. They had the platform. They had the forum. They had all the, you know, they. I found the the people to run it, and they're still running it. Like, what is it now? Ten, ten years later, they're still running amazing. it. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. And so now, my aunt's received, I think, two, two and a half million squares or something <laughs> like that. She and her volunteers have unpacked and sorted and got the grandmothers to the grandmothers of the children to sew the blankets and we we estimate that we've put blankets around about 500,000 children which is extraordinary it really is extraordinary, extraordinary because that strategy has been picked up and used by a whole lot of other charities and outreach yeah. I know my mum's in a, an aged care uh, village and yes yeah, she they were doing um beanies Yep. At one point, um, and because she's such a beautiful knitter, uh, they'd all say, come on, Joan, uh, we want you and we'll get so-and-so, we'll so-and-so will sew them up, so-and-so will do the pom-poms or whatever it was that's done. So coat hanger covers and beanies, very different to a blanket, but there's also plenty of blanket squares being done. So it started all those years ago, it started. So that was back in the 80s. Oh, no, no. Well, oh, look, I think the knitting for charity piece has been operating for ever because that was one of the keywords that I used was knitting for charity. Um, the square thing, I mean, there's lots and lots of squares. Um, mm. uh, but if, if I could just beg your indulgence for a second, I'd love to invite any knitters who are listening to this to join me in a little project that I've got going at the moment. I say it's little because it's just started. Um, I've got a, a couple of women in Uganda, um, local women in a little town called Mbali, that um, have alerted me to the fact that there are 57 street children in this um, town. And, you know, they live on nothing. Like, absolutely, they live on handouts and they sleep in the clothes they wear. They have nothing. And we came up with this idea that we could teach the local women to knit and crochet. Um, and the skills of knitting and crochet and that these women are so skilled, you know, that they would pick it up and, and in no time at all, they'd be creating stuff beyond the squares for the blankets to make blankets for the street children. They would then go on to create enterprises for themselves. So it's a double win. 
And so um, I've got three knitters happening at the moment and they've got some squares happening and they're, they're, every now and again they're Zooming. We're on a WhatsApp group. They're Zooming with the, the student knitters um, and they've donated a small amount for the, so that the yarn can be bought. Um, but I think it's a wonderful project because I think once we got it running, we could just roll it out in villages all over Africa where there are orphaned and vulnerable children and you've got this double thing happening you know that's beautiful that's yes. beautiful because that would actually attract some initiatives some government initiatives around yeah. enterprise yeah. and yeah. local I, th I think that's magic so Sandy how would anyone find out about that where would well, we go they can go on to well I think probably the easiest thing is just to contact me directly at um, sandy.mcdonald as an MC yep. at createcareglobal.org. Beautiful, all lowercase? All lowercase, yeah. All right, .org. Um, okay. But you can also look at the website, which is called smallax.org. All right. So we'll oh, sorry, smallax.global. Smallax.global, okay, okay. yeah. I'll, I'll put those in the in the notes for this, this conversation. Oh, thank you. Oh, Come and join some... me. I think it would be fun. <laughs> Um, I know someone who likes to knit as well, so we, we just might be joining that one, Sandy. So, <laughs> Thank you. It's funny because you think of uh, season, that knitting's a seasonal thing, but it goes on no matter what the season, yeah. whether it's 40 degrees Celsius or minus 24 degrees Celsius. So. I think one of the best um, acts we did following on from Knitter Square was we managed to get, and it was really difficult logistically, but we managed to get 800 blankets to a small camp in Syria when they were the refugee, oh, wow. you know, in that terrible refugee situation. It was, it was only little, but seeing those little kids in those bombed out, cold cold miserable conditions with these beautiful warm blankets and beanies around their head on their heads was just it that was magical yeah really magical one of our basic needs is to is to feel to have warm. shelter and to feel loved and cared for and a gift of a gift of a blanket to keep you warm adds another layer to well wrap yourself in the possibility of a different a different life my aunt says every time they wrap a blanket around a little child's shoulders, they say you're unique and you're special and you have a role to play in your country. Oh, Isn't oh. that just beautiful? So to be part to be part of that is is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So in all that, Sandy, have there been some tough times for you, up and down times? Because we're talking helping people to thrive. That's the great example here of the charity outreach. Um, but for you, Sandy McDonald, there would be, you would have had some tough times. We all look at thriving as something that's really glamorous, you know, when the hair's done and the, the lippy's on and, <laughs> you know, you've got a smile on your face. But you know what? It's it's pretty hard yakka. Um, and, you know, everyone has different strategies, different things that they've learnt about themselves over the years or what works for them. And so we always like to dip back into into the person and say, what what do you do? How do how do you still get out of bed um, to to write about men and all all that's going to happen for the sequel? Um, to be you, Sandy McDonald. To be a mum, a grandma, a, a partner, a, you know, a lover, a businesswoman. You know, um, tell us a bit about how you do it. 
Oh, that's a that's a lovely question, and thank you for asking, because one doesn't often get to reflect on the you know such a profound question. Um, and the first thing that came to mind was yes, we did go through some incredibly tough times. Well, look, we made some quite foolish decisions, to be quite honest. We you know we were running two businesses at the time that I this charity took off. I took my eye off the ball completely because I was just driven by passion, which was a wonderful experience for the for the year or two that it lasted. Um, when I say it didn't stop, it's just that reality started to bite. Um, and, and I think that I had a different vision for the way in which this could unfold that that might have allowed me to, um, mm. you know, to earn some kind of income, nothing, I didn't want anything massive, but that I could have kept doing it as my life's vocation, if you like. Uh, and, and it just didn't play out that way. And then I didn't act quickly enough to, to say, this is ridiculous. I, I must now move it on. I, I've started it. I've got it going. I must move it on. I, I clung on, you know, because I loved it so much. Um, and so by the time my daughters said, you know, mum, sorry, but the, the writing is seriously on the wall. <laughs> the business is hemorrhaging. You're not earning any money. You know, we'd had a couple of employees just, just as life um, would have it who perhaps because we didn't have the eye on the on our ball had decided to um, go off and run their own business and they took half our clients with them okay so you know those sort of things happened so that there was this collision of all this stuff happening oh. and it ended up with us having to sell our home and pay off our debts and basically start again so we did that and in the process, I think, you know, there were a couple of tough years there where we where we really um, beat ourselves up badly about what we'd done and what we'd done wrong and what other people had done and blah, blah, blah. And then I think about um, there was a period of time where I thought I have to do the work on acceptance. I have to because if I don't, I'm just not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to spend my life in regret mm. and misery and, you know, that's no good. So I had a year where I had the word acceptance as my driving force. And um, I did a lot of work on forgiveness of some of the people I felt I needed to forgive. I forgave yeah. myself. Uh, and that was a wonderful year. It really shifted me on. And then I, the next year I had that was the word joy because we hadn't had a lot of joy for some yeah. years. And... Um, and we went to Italy. I don't know how the hell we did it. We borrowed money and we did what because we were, you know, really struggling. Um, but we went and, oh, my God, it was just the most life affirming three weeks that you can imagine. You know, we may never do it again for all sorts of reasons, but we did it. And it, it just um, replenished our souls, I think. And we came back so full of it's okay. We've got a we've got a lovely roof over our heads. We've got grandchildren. We're, we've got our health, and we you know we shifted gear. We shifted gear. So those two words, and I mean I've done words ever since, but those two words were so significant yeah. and so driving, and and since I started the book, um, that's been a driving force. It's somehow it's egged me on to being very keen about being fitter than I used to be. I've not been unfit, but I didn't put fitness as a priority. But I think it's because I feel like I've got so much work to do and I'm 70 this year 
and I just feel I have to be fit to get it done. So you're, you're not alone. That mm. that seems to be quite an urgent, yeah, urgent thing that keeps popping up in conversations. I have yeah. with women who have got magnificently beautiful grey and white hair. <laughs> Yeah, and really trendy haircuts, <laughs> and you are as fit, you are as fit as a fiddle. And um, I couldn't help but think I have uh, relatives in the north of Italy. My husband's northern Italian; he was born there, and we were to go to to uh, to Italy just as COVID started. Mm-hmm. So that's been put. So we're just waiting, basically, to to do that. But we there's a big there's a big massive family there, and oh. the first time. The first time I ever went, it was such an experience and I have I've always said, that's it, we are going and I'd love to run our retreats and immersions from, I'll give you a Northern Italian experience. Mm. It's just, it's, it's liberating. And when you were talking about Italy, I went, oh, I just went, oh, I think I'm just, you know, got something in my eye as you were talking because I had a, had a memory as well. It's very strong when you do the travel. Mm. And there's a real huge realisation there um, about where we are in the world and how magnificent it is. So we have to look after it as for the way we should look after ourselves and we we look after humanity. We're part of that. To me, that's a big responsibility. But I was just thinking then the sequel could very well be like another trip. It's another trip to another place. Yeah. <laughs> How am I going on that? Am I, am I okay? <laughs> uh, well, it's um, it's part, partly the case. Uh, in the third book, I can only tell you that um, she has the challenge of working out how to collaborate with the Gorpals. And the Gorpals are, stands for giant wingless people, which is us. We're the oh. Gorpals. And so... She has the chance. She's very fond of she's fond of the gorpals because she lives in the backyard of a, a garden. I want everyone to go out into their backyard and look up into the trees and think, are oh, these little lumens up there? Because how do we know? I mean, that was the thing about the researchers is they said, we had no idea that these beings were up there until we went into the canopies of the trees. So how do we know they're not there? So they laugh. They have philosophical discussions like, because they don't think we really exist, does that mean we don't exist? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! And listeners, I knew nothing about the um, the scope of the third book in the sequel. I just going to declare. I'll just put it out there. I knew nothing. <laughs> that was just some serendipity, I think. Or just well done for asking. Some magic that's just occurred. <laughs> well, I'm glad oh. I've put it out there because guess what? That commits me to doing it, doesn't it? Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. There's the there's the commitment. Oh, Sandy. What a, a great conversation we've had today. Um, Thank you. I have thoroughly enjoyed it and I do um, know that we won't stop having conversations. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. No. But listeners, if you would like to know um, more about what Sandy does, you're interested in the charity and the knitting for Uganda, because I think that's where we might meet. Um, not might. We will meet because my knitting needles have laid a little bit dormant at the moment, <laughs> and I could, I could do with um, a trip to Uganda. I'd love to meet oh, meet the, the, the the women there and the. I uh, thought about that. I mean, workshops in Uganda. How exciting would that be? <laughs> absolutely brilliant because 
Global Leaders Thrive is another one of my programs, um, and it's all about leaders around the world, ordinary guys and gals who are doing extraordinary things. And um, Uganda could very well be one of our next stops. We were on our way to India just as COVID broke. <laughs> so that's that's that will also happen as well sooner rather than later. But Sandy, if anyone wants to contact you, we're going to use your email address. Yes, Sandy. Sandy.mcdonald, M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D, at createcareglobal.org. Yeah. We'll put those in the show notes for you. Sandy, you're also available on LinkedIn. Yes. A profile there. Yes. But, um, I think it's Sandy A. McDonald. And in LinkedIn, I, that's where I do a lot of talking about the storytelling training. So, yeah. oh, fantastic. And listeners, if you'd like to know more about what I do, pop on to Carrie Benedette.com. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn and all socials as well. C A R R I E B E N E D E T is how we do that one. So, as all podcast um, hosts like a little bit of love, if you've enjoyed this conversation with Sandy McDonald, send it on, share the love, give us a review and um, help us tell the story. And uh, I'm sure we will meet um, in a knitting circle. So that's uh, it's powerful community. And that's what we've been talking about today. Um, shifting gear and how we can build community out of passion and purpose, linking it together. Sandy, I've had a ball. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. It's been fantastic talking to you. You make it so easy. Oh, everyone, thanks for your time today. Um, don't forget to, to share this on, but you know what? You know what I'm going to say. You are precious and your thriving matters. So bye for now. Join us for our next conversation. I'm Carrie Benedette, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters. 